Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham. Man, it's just a joy to be here with you today. In this episode, we will begin with the topic entitled, Overcoming Procrastination. Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here?, followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message. If there's something, an idea that you have you would like to share with us, we would love to hear it. Please send it to us at admin at livelaughtalk.com. If you're listening on Spotify, sure that you've noticed that you can add a voice memo as well as comments and participate in the poll. We put up a new question every episode. We also put up a poll and we would love to get your feedback. Wherever it is that you listen to the podcast, you can definitely follow so that you're notified of the new episodes when they're released. Again, the topic that we will begin with is entitled Overcoming Procrastination. Are you a procrastinator? If you were to look at yourself honestly in the mirror, would you say, that's what I am? Do you delay or put things off like work, chores, or other actions that could be done in a more timely manner? For instance, if your test at school is done on Friday, do you wait until Thursday to then cram and try to study? If your boss says the reports are due on Tuesday at noon, do you find yourself trying to get all of it done at breakfast that day? You see, many people are this way. Other things come up. Other things that's more fun to them. Or their mind directs directs them in another direction. Is that you? And if so, what are the consequences? long term. You see, procrastination can have several negative consequences. Those things such as missed deadlines, like we talked about. You see, delaying tasks can lead to missed deadlines at work, school, or in our personal lives. Those things which can have serious repercussions. Oftentimes, Individuals put off things that are so necessary. Things that they need to get done today ends up going on a lifetime before they touch it. And what happens? Well, that leads to stress. Because often results that come about because of last-minute rushes causes heightened stress and anxiety. And if you've been here before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to be all stressed out because you waited until the last moment. For some, this becomes a lifestyle. This is how they do business. Now, we don't want that to be us. Because the reason being is because those who lead a life of procrastination tend to be less productive overall. And many may not reach their full potential. 
They rush to finish tasks that can result in a lower quality of work or miss details. So on the job or in school, they look like slackers because they don't do everything to the best quality. They're just getting by, putting in what has to be put in because we're already at the deadline. Instead of making the best of it. This can also strain relationships. Especially if you consistently fail to follow through on commitments or promises. I know individuals whose wedding ended up being some rushed situation that just looked awful. Why? Because they had a lot of time. Or they left it to the partner who said, I'll get it done. But then their partner took their sweet time. And it got almost to the day before they got everybody and everything in place. And it showed. Maybe they didn't recognize it. But it showed. And that could have an effect on your relationship. If you do everything inside your marriage or with your significant other, at the very last moment, whether you buy them a gift or you, it comes around a certain day that you're supposed to be together and everything's rushed and at the, the absolute deadline, nobody appreciates that. They want you to put them first in the relationship. And, and if you're procrastinating, it just won't seem that way. And when you have work that's of lower quality, and you're not reaching your full potential, guess what's going to happen to your self-esteem? Oh, it's going to come crashing down. It can lead to feelings of guilt, shame, self-doubt. And then the health issues come. Because when stress and anxiety enters your life, it will bring about mental health problems. Things such as insomnia and depression come right into your lifestyle. Now, what about all of the missed opportunities? Delaying action on importance, those things that are there for you to have that one chance, one opportunity, as Eminem put in a song and also in the movie Eight Man. When you have that one chance, that one opportunity for personal or professional growth, yet you pushed it off, you didn't get that chance, you didn't get that opportunity because you didn't prepare for it, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel to graduate as an average student when you know in your heart and in your mind you could have been the top student in that class. You could have been the valedictorian. But video games or other relationships with your friends, everything else got in the way of academia. You ended up on the bottom when you could have been on the top. And when you look back on opportunities like that that you missed, it brings about stress later in life. It could also lead to financial problems 
because it causes you to neglect financial responsibilities like paying bills or managing your investments. You put everything off till tomorrow, and that leads to regret over time. Yes, regret for not taking action on important goals or aspirations are emotionally taxing. So it's important to recognize the negative impacts of procrastination. And when we recognize it, we don't want to just sit there and go, oh, well, that's, man, that's me. That's a fact. I could do better. No, let's change. We have to make the appropriate steps to address this habit in order to lead to a more productive and fulfilling life. Yes, it can be challenging. Yes. But some of the tips that we could take are setting clear goals and reaching them. We want to define what it is that we want to accomplish, break it down into smaller, manageable tasks. We want to prioritize these tasks. Focus on the most important and time-sensitive tasks first. Set aside specific blocks of time for work. and Stick to your schedule. Identify what your distractions are. If they're video games, and that's not just for for kids, that's for adults too. There are a lot of adults out there that get caught up in the game and the next thing they know it's midnight and they didn't get anything done. It could be whatever is your distraction. You've got to identify what it is and minimize it. You've got to turn off those notifications of distractions and replace them with the things that will put issues first. There are time management techniques. Techniques that you could work that where you put it in, hey, I'm going to work for 25 minutes, and then I'm going to take a five-minute break and stay focused. But see, if you work for 25 minutes and you say, I'm going to take this five-minute break, but you don't stick to it. So you've got to make a conscious effort to make these changes or else you're wasting time. Share your goals with someone who can hold you accountable. I've had conversations with individuals and they say, you know what, I'm going to do, man, I'm glad you mentioned it to me. I'm going to get that done. I'm going to do this on this day and I'm going to have it ready. And that day comes around and I don't see it. Now, the question then comes up, what kind of friend am I? Because obviously that person told me that so that I could help them to stay accountable. Otherwise, they would have just kept it to themselves. So I've got to let them know, hey, you said you were going to do this and you did. And when you Start being that one that's helping them to be aware of their goals, helping them to move forward. Oh, they become they become better. They'll become a better person because now they've involved someone else to keep them on task. Now, again, I'm not saying let's be somebody's mom and daddy. We're talking about grown people here that have come to you Say they want to be better, and you give them that opportunity. Now, if they don't 
do what they say they're going to do. And you let them know, and you let them know multiple times, hey, you said you were going to do this. I don't see it. And they don't do it. Well, it's not our job to, to start disciplining them or, or coming up with, you know, getting mad at them, whatever else. That doesn't help. They've, the thing about procrastination is that they've got to overcome it themselves. We can't help them do it. And I tell you what, the thing about a procrastinator a lot of times is that they have more excuses than a little bit. And you know that yourself. If you're a procrastinator, you know you've got a whole book of excuses. That has to be overcome. You have to stay better. And when you achieve, you overcome areas in your life where you've procrastinated, then it's good to reward yourself. Nothing wrong with it. We don't want to be hard on ourselves either because slipping up is normal. And if it gets to the point that we need somebody, let's utilize them as we talked about. And we want to also give ourselves positive talk. Replace negative thoughts and self-criticism with positive affirmations so that we can boost our motivation. We want to find productive time, identify when we're most alert, and stay focused during the day. Schedule important tasks for that time of the day. Set our deadlines and visualize success. Nothing wrong with setting these types of goals, doing the things that we've talked about. But there is something wrong with trying to be a perfectionist. We want to allow room for, for slip-ups, for a little bit of a failure here and there. The thing is, we don't want to stay in there. So the way to make sure that we don't is to limit our social media as well. Because websites and all of the things therein can distract us especially during work time, when we say we're going to do what we're going to do. We don't want to do a lot of internet browsing. Oh, you know, I want to look and see if I can find this. Mm -mm. Create a productive workspace. I think that I've mentioned, too, that I have in my home a work area where this podcast is recorded. It's my studio. When I step in here, it's about business. Nothing else gets in the way. That's the reason why. And I'm not setting myself up, up as an example. What I'm saying is I grew up having issues that we're talking about. A lot of things on these podcasts are things I've had to work on. That's what makes me great at talking about it. I've experienced it. But one day I got on this microphone and I said, guess what? You guys are going to get a podcast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Today is the 45th episode. Of that 45 episodes, not one has ever been late. Why? All of the advice I'm giving you is the advice I had to take into heart. Because when you say you're going to do something, if I tell you it's going to be there on Monday and I tell you also, follow me so that you can see it. And you get in your car. You're looking for the Live, Laugh, Talk podcast. And it's not there. 
There's no Monday episode. There's no Wednesday episode. Some of you who are my personal friends, and some of you who have become that, you've, you've become fans, and you now keep in touch. Oh, you guys right. You'll come on Twitter. I know you will. You'll show up on my website. You'll start asking questions. What happened to that episode? I know you will, because when the episodes are re re released, oh, I get your feedback too. So imagine if it wasn't even there. See, that's the way it's got to be with every aspect of our lives. We want to hate to disappoint. And if we have that as our, our mentality, we will see change. So I set up a room. I set up business. Here, there's recordings. During the day, there's writings. I'm constantly writing. I've got a to-do list, a literal to-do list. I write down the topics. I prioritize which ones we want to do. I track my own progress. What's happened is aided me to avoid overcommitting or doing to other tasks, other responsibilities that can lead to me not getting what I've got to get done. And I've noticed that I got that from other aspects in my life, from working corporate life. In the corporate world, you don't get a chance for redos, retakes. You've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. And it just so happened that when I went into the corporate world, I went in at a managerial level. So when I was talking to somebody, I'm talking to the vice president of the company. I'm talking to the president of the company. I can't slip up. I can't procrastinate. I can't put it off. That could be my last day. So I took that and I made it every aspect of my life. And I took that and I made it this podcast. So it's never late. If there's not an episode, there should be caution. You guys need to be writing. You do need to do that. James, where are you? What happened? Because something happened to James. Other than that, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's the same way we expect that. Even procrastinators expect that. They expect that when they turn on their favorite TV show or their program, that it's going to be there. Whatever that TV show is, you know it comes on 8 o'clock on Friday. You expect it not to come on at 10 or 12. It's at 8 o'clock on Friday. Even the greatest procrastinator in the world expect other people not to be. So why don't we not? Now, every one of us have to reflect. We have to adjust. Periodically, we should review our productivity strategies, make adjustments, and remember, again, not being hard on ourselves, remember that everyone faces procrastination at some point. But the key is to develop habits and techniques that work best for us to overcome it. Consistency and self-awareness are crucial in the process of beating this disease. I'm going to call it a disease. Yes, the rewards when we overcome procrastination. The rewards are many. They include better productivity, 
less stress, better relationships, being able to visualize success. So when deadlines arise, we want to be ahead of the deadline. As my mother used to say, if the the report is due on Friday, your deadline should be Thursday. It should be really ready on Wednesday so that you can review it and make sure it's the best work that you turn in on Friday. From there, let's make sure that we work our absolute best to remove the disease of procrastination out of our lives completely. Maybe it governed us for years, decades, but not anymore. Let's set up our our priorities. Let's set our deadlines. Let's keep to the task and make sure that we get the best out of our lives by giving the best when it's due. Now, this segment may be a little difficult for individuals. And we're not going to say why it might be difficult, but it just might. Because there are those of us who have experienced this, and there, frankly, are those of, the, of us that have caused others to experience racial inequality. You see, what I'm about to discuss is not the words of James Graham. We're not going to sit here and James tell you about his life. Now, he may interject things about his life that has shown racial inequality. But what we're not going to do is not going to have it be a testimonial. This information has come solely from our U.S. government. And as usual, when I do our, how do we get here, as I like to tell people, you know, this is where this information came. And I'm going to do it right now. So go to the Department of Treasury, that's treasury.gov, and put in your search column, racial inequality. This information comes solely from the U.S. government. It's not my word. This information has come from the Counselor for Racial Equality, Janice Bodler, and the Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy, Benjamin Harris. And I tell you, it speaks truth. If you've lived it, you're going to find that they didn't lie. And there's more information coming from them And as it comes, we'll share it. We're going to make this a series. So this is part one of our conversation about racial inequality. We want to first start off by defining what racial inequality is. It's the unequal distribution of resources, power, and economic opportunity across race in a society. And while the discussion of racial inequality in the U.S. is often focused on economic inequality, 
racial inequality also manifests itself in a multitude of ways that alone and together impact the well-being of all Americans. We all lose when there's racial disparities. So whether those disparities are in wealth, education, employment, housing, mobility, health, rates of incarceration, whatever it is, it affects each and every one of us. And you know, I have often said in my personal life, and I've said it on this podcast, I wonder what the world would be if there was no racial inequality. If people had not been told that they could not gain an education, that was a period of time in our history where we were told this. We couldn't even be able to read. It was against the law for people of certain races to even know how to read. If these individuals were able to carry things out as their mind and, and, and the intelligence that God gave them was there, if individuals could get a patent, for years, those outside of a certain race couldn't even get a patent in the United States. What would the world have been like if this had happened? If actually inventors had gotten credit for it because they could get a patent, if they were allowed to gain education. See, all of these things held back the country. It didn't make our country better. And this is what the Department of the Treasury is talking about. Notice this is not coming from the Department of Justice, where we would think. Coming from the Department of the Treasury. Because financially, we are held back as a country because of racial disparity. In January 2022, remarks at the virtual Davos agenda hosted by the World Economic Forum. The Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, stated, a country's long-term growth and its potential depends on the size of its labor force, the productivity of its workers, the renewability of its resources, and the stability of its political system. This concept, which Secretary Yellen has coined, modern supply-side economics. It prioritizes labor supply, human capital, R&D, and investments in a sustainable environment. And R&D is research and development. These focus areas are all aimed at increasing economic growth and addressing longer-term structural problems, particularly inequality, Ms. Yellen went on to say. This reflects a recognition that despite an aim to advance economic growth, many policies in areas such as access to the labor market, housing, and infrastructure have not benefited all Americans. This has impacted the ability of communities of color, rural communities, and other historically marginalized people to fully participate in and benefit from the nation's prosperity. 
I'm going to stop right there for a minute. Because when we stop and we think about this, a lot of times, like let's just say the issue of slavery comes up. And somebody says, oh, why do we have to talk about this? Oh, that was a hundred years ago and 400 years when it started and we're still bringing it up. Well, yes. Why? Because there, as this brings out, there's historically marginalized people who fully participate in and benefit from the nation's prosperity. But that's not people as a whole. There's some people who do not get this. They don't get the ability to have equality. Our economy as a whole, as a whole, cannot be as productive as possible unless all individuals are given the opportunity to be as productive as possible. Let's say that again. The economy as a whole cannot be as productive as possible unless all individuals, all individuals, are given the opportunity to be as productive as possible. As a result, the legacies of structural racism continue to hamper economic growth for everyone. Furthermore, some economic policies that would directly benefit Americans of all races and ethnicities have been undermined by arguments that play to the fears that one group is going to benefit at the expense of another. Well, we can't let this group of people start being heard because there's more of them and eventually they'll take over. Well, we start having this kind of nonsense in our thinking. It is the kind of nonsense that brings us to the disparities that we see today. Of course, there are more moral, logical, microeconomic, and other reasons to promote a more just and equitable society. The economic cost of racial inequality is borne not just by the individuals directly faced with limited opportunities, but also has spillovers to the entire U.S. economy especially as the country becomes more racially diverse. Inequality poses an ongoing threat to our individual and collective economic welfare. Our Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, Wally Adeyemo, emphasized this argument in his September blog, September 2021. He says, the exclusion of communities of color from the ladder of economic opportunity holds back economic growth for the entire country. Pursuing racial equality is vital. It's vital to drive innovation, to boost growth across the U.S. economy as well. When people gain access to the resources they need to build their economic future and withstand financial shocks, it's not just good for individuals and their families, but it also benefits the communities where they live, work, and invest, with beneficial spillovers to the economy as a whole. Likewise, when investments are made that allow millions of people who have been held back economically to reach their full economic potential, 
It gives the United States an important advantage in an increasingly competitive global economy. See, because we cannot afford to leave talent and opportunity on the table. Just because someone of a different color, of a different race, has this talent and we hold them back, we're holding back our entire economy. Where did this come from? Where did racial inequality get born? Well, in the United States, there's racial inequality that we see today. It's rooted in long-standing behaviors, beliefs, and public and private policies that resulted in the appropriation of the physical, financial labor and other resources of non-white people. While a review of the origins of racial inequality is beyond the scope of this podcast, it's important to note the prominent role of inequitable and harmful policies dating back to before the country's founding. Even These include attacks on Native Americans' political status, and being excommunicated from their own land. The reliance on slavery to underpin a significant portion of the colonial and then U.S. economy. And then let's not leave out the Jim Crow laws and other formal and informal policies that enforce segregation and severely limited opportunities for those who are non-white. The millions of African Americans who left the southern part of the United States to escape Jim Crow laws faced formal and informal employment, housing, and educational discrimination in destination cities in the North and the West. Native Americans who survived the military conquests of the mid-19th century were subject to policies that disenfranchised forced their assimilation and relocation, and removed Native children from their households. Anti-Latino sentiment, which we see today, which grew in the 19th century, as immigration from Mexico to the United States increased in the years following the Mexican-American War, grew further following the Great Depression due to concerns that Mexican-Americans were taking jobs from European Americans. Sound familiar? Does it sound like today? Similarly, anti-Asian sentiment grew following the arrival of Chinese immigrants during the California Gold Rush, which was manifested in the Chinese Exclusion Act, prohibiting the immigration of Chinese laborers beginning in 1882, and was ignited again after the bombing of Pearl Harbor with the establishment of Japanese internment. These caps, these camps that kept people in detention by executive order resulted in the forced relocation and internment of about 120,000 Japanese Americans. That's our history. 
Well, while the most targeted racist laws and policies have been repealed or otherwise abandoned, subsequent policies, uneven enforcement of equal protections, and a failure to invest in individuals harmed by discrimination has resulted in vastly limited opportunities and stark inequalities between white and non-white Americans that have continued to this day. For example, maps drawn by the Homeowners Loan Corporation, a now defunct federal agency, to portray the relative riskiness of lending across neighborhoods in the 1930s, were used by banks to deny access to credit to residents of the lowest rated neighborhoods who are often racial and ethnic minorities. Though these policies also hurt poor white individuals. But one thing about this country, it's racist. It's also one that hates the poor. So unfortunately, poor white individuals got lumped right in there with those who are being discriminated against, the racial, ethnic minorities. Moreover, this conduct depressed home ownership rates, house values, and rents, and increased racial segregation in low-rated neighborhoods in subsequent decades, highlighting the lasting negative economic consequences of racism on the community and on the future residents of these neighborhoods, regardless of race. All of us drive through some neighborhood, and we go, how in the world did it get here? Well, because of these policies, because of these actions. And these things not only led to continued racial disparities and access to resources and opportunities, they also led to differences in the extent to which people of different races benefit from the resources and opportunities. These disparities are evident in the persistent overrepresentation of black and Hispanic Americans among the population in poverty in the United States and in the widening of the racial wealth gap in recent decades. While the poverty rates for all racial and ethnic groups had been declining prior to the pandemic, the gaps between the rates for black and Hispanic Americans and non-Hispanic white Americans have remained relatively constant since the early 2000s. At the same time, the gap in average net wealth between black and Hispanic households and non-Hispanic white households has widened significantly. Racial disparities in outcomes predictive of future success appear early in life. In 2010, math skills at kindergarten entry were over half a standard deviation higher for white students than for black or Hispanic students with similar disparities in reading skills. These disparities in educational outcomes continue into higher education. In 2019, 40% of white adults had earned a bachelor's degree compared to just 26, 19, and 17% of black, Hispanic, and American Indian, or Alaska Native adults, respectively. Large ed educational disparities, coupled with racial discrimination in the labor market and other factors, led to pronounced differences 
and economic security across racial groups. In 2019, the unemployment rate was 6.1% for both Black and American Indian or Alaska Native adults, compared to just 33 and 2.7% for White and Asian adults, respectively. Similarly, the rate for Hispanic adults was 4.3% and only 3.5% for non-Hispanics. In addition, Black and Hispanic adults continue to have considerably lower earnings than white or Asian adults. Median household income in 2020, we're looking at 2020 figures. Again, this is the Department of Treasury. Median household income in 2020 was roughly 46000 and 55,000 for black and Hispanic workers, respectively, compared to 75,000 and 95,000 for white and Asian households. These earnings and the differences has changed little since 1970 and are one of the primary contributors to the persistence of the racial wealth gap. In 2019, the median white family had 184,000 in family wealth compared to just 23,000 and 38,000 for median black and Hispanic families, respectively. 184,000 versus 23 to 38,000. Yes, racial gaps in education and economic outcomes not only impact the economic well-being of racial and ethnic minorities, they have also been shown to inhibit economic growth for the U.S. economy as a whole. And these racial gaps in well-being extend beyond educational attainment and economic security. There's also health disparities. For example, early in life, that persists over the lifespan, Black and Hispanic Americans face higher rates of child abuse, lead exposure, obesity in childhood, and chronic illness in adulthood than white Americans. These groups often experience restricted access to quality health care, an issue further illuminated by the recent global pandemic. Compared to white non-Hispanic Americans, Hispanic, black non-Hispanic, and also American Indian or Alaska Native non-Hispanic Americans are 1.8, 1.7, and 2.1 times more likely to die from COVID-19. Moreover, as the COVID-19 pandemic has shown, the inequitable distribution of health care in the United States can negatively impact the health of all Americans including those with access to high-quality services. Why? Because as we saw through the pandemic, there should have been no racial disparity, but because there was, and more people of minorities ended up with it, it cost the lives of those who could afford greater health care because that spread everywhere. So it didn't matter whether you were rich or poor, it went everywhere. So if you're neglecting people, that just made the pandemic worse. But it doesn't stop there. 
one of the most powerful episodes I've ever recorded was entitled Urgent. Why are black mothers dying giving birth? Please go back and listen to that episode. Because in there we see the racial disparity in health care. Even if that minority is what they consider well off. One even worked for the U.S. government and was researching this and died herself giving birth. So sad. It's, it's really pitiful because it doesn't have to be. People of color in the U.S. are overrepresented in neighborhoods with high poverty. In 2020, nearly a quarter of American Indians are Alaska Natives. 21% of non-Hispanic black people, 17% of Hispanic people lived in high poverty neighborhoods. Defined as census tracts. Census tracts, we want to call it. With a poverty rate of 30% or higher. In contrast, only 4% or 6% of white and Asian or Pacific Islander people lived in high-poverty neighborhoods. High-poverty neighborhoods often lack vital resources and amenities like good schools, large and affordable grocery stores, reliable public transportation, and safe and clean community spaces that enable residents to succeed in the classroom. And on the job. And so when we begin to take away the economic prosperity of an individual, we take away their hope, then we sit around and we wonder why we have crime. Does that make sense? Crime is going to be about if this person over here has and this person over here does not have and they've never had. They never had the opportunity to have. But what's going to happen to your economy as a whole? Because we prosper. The economy prospers when everyone prospers. It's important to note that while we have this information given to us by the Department of the Treasury, still we have to put it into our hearts and minds ourselves that we want to be different. When we sit and we talk about we don't want to have any type of conversation, that conversation being around racial disparities, and we see all of the, the ill effects of it as a whole, we have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? Oftentimes, I dwell on the podcast and I think, wonder what is individuals' favorite segment overall. You've listened to all 45 episodes and you stop and you say, hey, what's my favorite of them all? In my mind, it would be the sunflower message. 
when we created the podcast, that was the overall idea because it would be the one that sends people home on a happy note. Hmm. Well, over time, I got feedback that, you know, I like the main topic because, you know, I, I can look at that and that just kind of leads me into everything else. Over time, more time went by. And even the individual who made our our swag, our T-shirts, coffee mugs, and tote bags. She's a, an avid listener, a friend of mine. Actually, more of a sister, I should say. Anyway, she made everything off of the How Did We Get Here segment. That's her favorite segment. And we got a lot of feedback. Yeah, that's my favorite. How did we get here? Now I'm starting to hear that the hobbies and special interests is the favorite one. It's actually the one where we get the most audience feedback. We get the most of individuals sending us their ideas. It's the one that's on special interests and hobbies. Interesting. But you know, at the end of the day, what does that tell us? That all of them are important. <laughs> because if people are picking and choosing, hey, I like this one, and then over time, I like that one, and that means that we're doing a good job. And we thank you for that because it's only by your feedback that, you know, we continue to, to make interesting uh, podcasts. And it's only by your feedback that they can be interesting because you're the one that give us these ideas. So we love you for it. And our special interest in our hobby today after that soliloquy, so sorry, but sometimes I get long-winded, is on astronomy. Yes, astronomy can be a fascinating and a rewarding hobby. You can start by stargazing with the naked eye, binoculars, or a telescope. Joining a local astronomy club can also provide guidance and access to equipment. You'll enjoy observing celestial objects like planets, stars, galaxies, and even participate in events like meteor shops. Additionally, learning about the science behind astronomy can enhance your hobby. Also, astrophotography. Yes, this can enhance your hobby as well. So what we want to do is, when we start any hobby, we want to learn the basics. And nothing's any different with astronomy. We want to start by learning about the night sky, constellations, and the movement of celestial objects. And there are many books, online resources, and apps that can help with this. Binoculars are a great tool for beginners. They're more portable and easier to use than telescopes. And they can help you observe the moon, star clusters, and even some deep sky objects. And if you're ready to invest more, you can consider getting a telescope. And there's various types there. Re refractors and reflectors, each with its advantages. Research and choose the one that suits your needs and your budget. Planets like Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, and Venus are great targets because they're visible with the naked eye and become even more fascinating through a telescope. Deep sky objects 
out there. These deep sky objects like galaxies, star clusters. They can be challenging but rewarding to observe with a telescope. And with astrophotography, we want to capture the beauty of the night sky. Start with simple setups and gradually advance to more complex equipment if you begin to get more passionate about it. Try to find locations with minimal light pollution for the best viewing experience. Many national parks and rural areas offer excellent dark skies. There's astronomy software out there, apps, to help you locate celestial objects and plan your observing sessions. There's astronomy clubs, star parties, they call them. Yes, these are great opportunities to meet fellow enthusiasts, learn from experienced astronomers, and share your passion. Read and learn. Stay updated with the latest discoveries and advancements in astronomy. There's so many books, magazines, online forums. They can provide a wealth of information. And we don't want to forget safety measures like proper eye protection when observing the sun and dressing warmly on those cold nights. Remember, astronomy is a lifelong learning journey. Whether you're a casual stargazer or a dedicated amateur astronomer, it's a hobby that offers endless opportunities for exploration and wonder. So we're going to end on this note. Enjoy the cosmos. Our sunflower message will be words of affirmation. We want you to know that you are valued and appreciated. Your efforts make a positive difference in the world. Keep believing in yourself and your abilities, for you have the power to achieve great things. You are unique, special with qualities that make you one of a kind. Your resilience and determination inspire those around you. Remember, every day is a chance for growth and new accomplishments, and you have the strength to overcome challenges and create a brighter future. Rewind those words. They're meant for you. On Cash App, dollar sign, Live Laugh Talk, Twitter at Live Laugh Talker, and on Spotify, you can press the dollar sign to donate to our podcast. We need your support. Any and everything that you can give is appreciated. Remember to rate us a five. Whatever the highest is on your podcast platform, tell your friends. Go to Etsy.com. Search for How Did We Get Here? You will find beautiful t-shirts in your size, varied colors. There's t-shirts, coffee mugs, tote bags, all there for your enjoyment. We know you will love these items. And you'll also have individuals asking you, well, where did you get that? What is that about? You can be that person in the office, wherever you are, that knows about the 
new and upcoming podcasts. That podcast being Left Laugh Talk and share it with others by the gear that you wear. We know that you'll love these items. But the coffee mugs are as, as cheap as $7.53. There's also free shipping included. So make sure that you participate. We know you're going to love it. I ordered them myself. We're taking pictures. Now, we're going to post it on social media. And we'd like to mention that we have a presence on all social media. We have our own website, of course, LiveLaughTalk.com. On social media, we are present on Twitter as LiveLaughTalker. That's LiveLaughTalker. On the rest of social media, whether that is Facebook, Twitter, Threads, Instagram, what have you. We're listed as Live, Laugh, Talk. Each episode, including this one, will have pictures and have music. We also we always come up with music that's the theme for our podcast. And we put all this on the varied social media, also on YouTube. So make sure that you check us out on social media and send links. Send us likes, but also send links to your friends. It's on TikTok. You can also share those TikTok videos as we know you guys like to do. So please do those things and make sure that you continue to support our podcast in the many varied areas we just mentioned by donation, by uh, t-shirts, by putting a high rating on our podcast platforms. Also by letting us know what you feel on social media. Support us, please. This is James and George's baby boy signing up. And as you know, I can't wait to talk with you again soon.